Welcome, listener. You found the latest episode of the Michigan Soccer Central podcast. Uh, my name is Robert Kerr here with you another week here as we get as many viewpoints from the beautiful game from across the Great Lakes state. And whether you're a coach, player, supporter, this is the place to connect with the entire Michigan soccer community. Happy to be with you. Uh, all of a sudden, we are in the thick of uh, soccer 22 planning season is dropping left and right between schedules, division alignments, new teams coming out. Uh, there's there's news coming out left, right, and central, so I've invited a friend to come chew on all this news with me. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mitch Gatsky, for coming on. Thanks very much for having me. Always a pleasure. Before we hit uh, this like bullet bit, bulletin Borton Whoa, bulletin board worth of news. Uh, today's feature interview uh, is a really good one. I did last week with uh, Flint City Bucks and newly Flint City AFC president Costa Papista. So one of the big men in uh, soccer here in Michigan on the show. We are going to get a bit of a, a news report on the latest wheeling and dealings of the U.S. Open Cup 2022, there's a new format, lots of teams, and lots of controversy from certain corners of lower league uh, soccer in the United States. So lots of intrigue. So looking forward to hearing from that, and you will too, listeners. So I guess from the litany of announcements and news from Michigan-based stuff, let's start in the Midwest Premier League, shall we, Mitch? Let's do it. Today, just moments before we uh, are started recording, I should actually timestamp this because <laughs> things blow by uh, pretty quick these this uh, these days. So we are recording in the late hours of January 31st, 2022. So uh, just before recording, uh, Cedars FC joins the Midwest Premier League. Uh, they are based in Dearborn here in Metro Detroit. Uh, They've been many things over the decades, um, many different names from uh, Dearborn uh, Stars to, uh, you know, now they're called Cedars FC. So they're uh, a very cool, interesting uh, addition to the Midwest Premier League. And just a few days before that, on the west side of the state, Tulip City United, another west side team uh, joining the fray. Uh, it's getting pretty crowded over there. Lots of teams popping up uh, on both sides of the state. It's pretty exciting, uh, especially for the Midwest Premier League. Uh, some teams have gone, but definitely have added in some interesting new ones. And I am hearing that we should hear about division alignment very soon now that uh, these new teams have popped up over the last few days. Yeah, definitely exciting time. As you mentioned, kind of the theme that goes across all leagues right now, those announcements coming through with new teams, new schedules, new divisions. MWPL, obviously uh, not an exception to that rule. Exciting times for that league as it continues to uh, bring new new clubs into the fold. And I think that's very important for that level uh, specifically, uh, that you continue to see new teams, new ventures, popping up. Uh, as you know, it's kind of a, a pretty volatile landscape. The, uh, the lower league soccer uh, 
business side of things is certainly volatile. So, you know, the the fact that there's still demand from people with the means to do so to create these teams and give these players a chance to play and give these fans uh, something to entertain them, entertain themselves with. Uh, encouraging signs, I think, going forward. I'm a big fan of uh, smaller towns having uh, their own town or uh, their own hometown team to cherish. That's one of the reasons why I really like uh, Muskegon. This is a small town on the west side of the state that, uh, you know, really gets behind the team. And uh, I guess that's the same way with, uh, you know, going a little bit farther south. Uh, Holland now giving uh, an opportunity to some some players on that side of the state in addition to other Midwest Premier League expansion teams in that area, like Grand Haven. That's just a a nice area of Michigan. You know, if you've vacationed, if you have family over there, uh, those areas could make for some very cool uh, away day road trips. So exciting stuff for sure. Yeah, road trips are definitely going to be discussed later on the show when we get to the USL2 League drop, but yeah, Midwest Premier League Tulip City from Holland uh, on Friday was announced, and here in Dearborn, or not here, but on the east side of the state, uh, Cedars FC. It's a little bit. It's definitely closer than uh, Tulip City United, but it's very cool over there. Midwest Premier League, um, you know, definitely across, definitely a big presence in Michigan, Lansing, Grand Haven, Grand Rapids with uh, our. Uh, BIH Grand Rapids and then um, the West Michigan Bearings as well. So uh, excited to see how uh, the divisions go this week. And then uh, shortly after that should be a schedule. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, covering a little bit of the Midwest Premier League and like the the preseason aspect of uh, um, this uh, calendar, how everything all happens at the same time. So it's kind of hard to put your time into everything all at the same time when all the teams are happening at the same time. But um, moving down our list, uh, we've hit the Midwest Premier League topics. So USL League 2 schedule dropped. Um, uh, actually, let's go even more recent. Just before uh, we got on here today, let's start with USLW Great Lakes Division. We got Great Lakes Divisions in USL on both men's and women's. And so uh, just earlier this afternoon, too, right at around the same time of the Cedars FC announcement, uh, USLW announced their Great Lakes division with AFC Ann Arbor, Detroit City FC, Flint City AFC, Kalamazoo FC, Kings Hammer FC down there in Cincinnati, Indy 11, Midwest United FC, and Racing Louisville. So, quite an exciting uh, debut for uh, the Great Lakes uh, division on the this new W League. Yeah, it's great to see the continued expansion of the women's game. And again, more and more teams, more and more markets coming into that fold. And the thing that I wanted to touch on uh, about all of these, again, kind of a, a continuous theme throughout all of these leagues, I think we're seeing... With the increase of just the number of teams, you're seeing better division alignments and that ability to cut down on travel, cut down on the overhead costs of just continuing to have these clubs function. And I think in the long run, that's going to pay pretty big dividends for 
the stability of the clubs and the leagues as a whole. And uh, I, I guess I was taken by surprise. I didn't know Indy 11 had a uh, a women's side, so that that's really exciting. My eye too. And uh, Louisville definitely had both men's and women's takes theirs very seriously. And then with the in-state teams with Ann Arbor, Detroit, Flint, um, that's that's a really exciting division. I I, I got to say, between the in-state matchups and the out-of-state kind of like powerhouse teams. Um, pretty incredible looking uh, start there for that side. And it's, I think, a great thing for the women's game as it continues to evolve and more teams start to feel the team uh, of women, that there's kind of the the under underlying uh, already built-in kind of matchups and a little bit of history with these clubs that have maybe met on the men's side a couple of times or have you know, worked around each other or obviously in close proximity to one of one another. Now they're coming into contact on the women's side. And I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how that, uh, you know, kind of underlying interest really sparks as these seasons take off. I mean, there's a whole lot of soccer going around. So, uh, um, is there enough people to spread around to all the bleachers and all these places on all these dates? It's up to the clubs to, you know, turn out the fans and make sure that it's known they're putting on an entertaining product in their local area that's worth coming out to see. And um, yeah, I mean, for my money, it's something that you'll do every weekend, something that I would look forward to doing every weekend, Where whether it's seeing my local club at home or traveling to see them away. Uh, and again, I think for maybe the people who aren't as dedicated and, and won't travel as far to see this, the fact that there are other teams in, in the area that you could go see, uh, it's it's good for the game in my mind. And uh, my eyebrows wiggled a little bit in this whole excitement about uh, everything that's going on at Detroit City FC, um, that uh, there was kind of... Uh, maybe some foreshadowing of down the road uh usl has uh launched the the women's super league the professional side so i think that this might even just be this this great lakes division might just be you know like the laying the groundwork to maybe something maybe more professional which uh you know will be very exciting as well just the fact that that's a prospect is exciting yeah, absolutely. And I think that's uh, one of the most intriguing, one of the most appealing things about the move to the USL level and just the uh, potential for scalability in the future. You know, the, the the structure of the league exists so that the club can ideally prosper and uh, not have to worry about dragging the rest of uh, the league and its clubs along. So, yeah, I think that's uh, certainly one of the appealing points. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. It's, it's one of the things that kind of comes up to mind with the interview later on with, uh, Costa Papista and just like the news of like a lot of teams, uh, youth teams in the area, adding senior teams to theirs or other large youth organizations making a partnership with, uh, you know, a, a over 18 side, um, we're definitely seeing there's definitely a, a churn going on and I'm, I'm, I haven't quite figured out if it's a 
if it's a positive or not, I think it's awesome that there's more opportunities, obviously, like on a service level. But as far as like more clubs, like uh, less clubs, but they're bigger clubs. But in the same way, they're they're forming these senior level teams, which is more of a, a classical version of uh, how soccer clubs are in different countries. So we're at some sort of a a stage working towards something uh, that could be cool, but uh, it could be just a lot of only the people that can afford it might be in those academies, but it might get to the point where these academies are competitive enough to where it all be about um, development then. Yeah. I think that's the key word, right? Is the, the competition, the just what we know about supply and demand, if there are more options, theoretically, the cost should decrease. So just the fact that kids and parents have more options for their kids to go play in different well, It's a little clubs, bit of an oxymoron. Is my point is at the youth level, more, they're more of the, the small clubs are all getting bought up by large youth clubs. And so there's less options in a way, but there's now becoming more options for players that are over 18. So it's kind of a mixed bag as far as there's more adult playing options, but the different, you know, how many logos are on our kids chess that they're playing, you know, as children are reducing during all this at the same time. Yeah. And that's certainly something to watch out for. I think the, the important thing for me is you want a club that fits your kind of, aspirations or your uh you know your your outlook on what the club should do for the players you know is it develop them to a point where they're just going to feed up into the top team or is it fully rounding them out as a person you know there's a whole lot of philosophical discussion that could be had there uh i will say that just the the sheer resources that are be being put toward the development of players as a whole, I think has to be perceived as a good thing, right? Whereas we saw 10 years ago, you had to be good to be discovered and, you know, they found you. Whereas now I think clubs are more open to say, everyone come see us and we will do the best we can to field as many teams as we can. So I think, while there are maybe fewer clubs, you know, fewer parent clubs, I think there might, correct me if I'm wrong, there might be actually more clubs underneath all of those parent clubs. Hmm. That remains, I'm not, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I at least from my vantage point is, I mean, who? I guess it all depends on the quality of the, the club that purchases said small clubs. And so if there is five mega clubs that, you know, have 95% of this is this is getting into hypothetical terms now. But, you know, say there's like a half a dozen clubs for the whole state. I mean, maybe if that is a thing of scaling, how maybe in other nations, there's five clubs for a town. Maybe we have five clubs for a state and yeah. that's how we scale across our giant nation is that those there's catch-alls, but those catch-alls are like a, you know, a much bigger area, um, you know, hypothetically speaking, but we, we got a little bit sidetracked there. <laughs> a little bit, but I think for me, again, it's the, the 
amount of players and the fact that we're even having a discussion like this, I think is probably a, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I really am excited. I mean, the clubs are now having ambitions to have senior teams. So at least from my vantage point, doing this position, talking about mostly summer club ball, it's exciting to me because, okay, so I grew up, uh, my, the, the, the team, what used to be called the Novi Jaguars. And so now they're the Jaguars because they've grown. And now that the fact that there's an ambition for this huge, very successful um, club now has, you know, the will and the ambition to, to field senior sided teams is, is, is exciting to me. And uh, now that there's more options that that's, that's pretty cool. And I, I hope that in this pursuit of that, uh, you know, developing those 18, 19, 20 year olds, it's not in any way an expense to, uh, the youth, the younger ones, in in and uh, catching them at the beginning. Because if we start focusing yeah. only on the pro development and not getting people in, then you know we have less to work with. So pretty cyclical there in a way. Like uh, let's not overboard uh, one way or the other as far as our our focus yeah. and the resources. You basically you don't want to create a bubble of players, right? Where you know you've got all these players right now who are in let's call it the system. And as these younger kids start to come up, kids who aren't even born yet, you know, I think if I'm understanding you correctly, your worry is that these younger kids aren't going to have as many options because the kids who are already in the system will become the focus and just pushing them up the funnel as opposed to getting more kids into. Yeah, that's one of my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. They'll be focused on just you know, trying to create pros, but that could be good for actually like, you know, trying to, you know, have more high level players, but I guess this is the entry level. I hope it's like a kid, you know, he played a couple rec years. Hopefully if city league still exists in a little while and then, Hey, I want to get a little bit more competitive. And then if there's less options are more people priced being priced out than already were. It's only my only fear of, you know, there being less clubs to, to choose from. But yeah. we digress. But <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad there's a whole lot of soccer going on, bottom line. Um, other things that uh, came across the news feed, um, of course, go to uh, MI, at MI Soccer Central on any of the socials. Uh, um, so much news, including the uh, USL2, the men's side of the Great Lakes Division, their full schedule. Not only did the uh, the divisioning come out already, but the full schedule came out. Uh, I believe it was a Thursday or Friday last week, and uh, the Great Lakes Division is six teams, all Michigan based. Um, the longest road trip for me is out to Grand Rapids, and that's you know, 150 miles. So compared to from Metro Detroit to Cincinnati, that's nothing at all, my friend. Yeah, I will take it. Yeah, so in the uh, Great Lakes Division for USL2 this year, it's Ann Arbor, AFC Ann Arbor, Midwest United, Kalamazoo FC, um, Flint City Bucks, and Lansing City, and Oakland County FC. And uh, with that connection, uh, Mitch and I both uh, have... A mutual connection is because we're going to be working together this summer. We already had been 
doing I've been doing random press box things for a number of years at Oakland County FC games. And uh, Mitch, while doing lots of random things too, has always been the color commentator since I've been around. And so we finally get to be shoulder to shoulder on a uh, on an actual pre-planned base. We've had some, some emergency partnerships, but <laughs> I'm very excited right. to be uh, the Oakland County FC uh, streamcaster, uh, you know, commentary booth partners with you. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, obviously, more information to come on how you guys can tune in and listen and watch those games. But uh, for now, just uh, be on the lookout because exciting stuff in the pipeline for sure. If we're looking at the 2022 Oakland County FC schedule, is there anything at a glance, any of these uh the way the schedule is laid out, I mean, we're playing 14 games against six teams. So the only thing that I'd say, uh, I mean, I'm pumped about the the schedule, but if I got to go with pros and cons, I love the in-season in, uh, state schedule. But there was a couple teams from last year that I'd love to just run it back on them uh, because uh, our 5-5 with Toledo, which I talk about with Costa Papista, that I really wanted to – to go back to Toledo and uh, delete some of those goals <laughs> that uh, we gave up late. And then same thing with uh, Fort Wayne, but we're running them all against Michigan teams this year. So uh, I have a lot of people out in Kalamazoo. So um, the May 13th out there uh, is something I've already got scheduled or uh, circled on my calendar. How about you? Well, the advantage of, you know, all of these teams being so close together You've hit on it before. The potential for away day road trips is awesome. The other thing is, if you'll notice, a lot of these games, just in terms of kickoff time, there's only a couple of them at 3 o'clock. So generally speaking, you're going to have enough time to get to wherever you're going and you know not have to rush or wake up early and have to get out the door in a hurry. Uh, in terms of actual fixtures that I'm looking at, uh, my girlfriend is living in Grand Rapids while I'm over here in Birmingham. So the uh, game against Midwest United on June 17th piques my interest. Uh, they're going to be playing their home games, I believe, at um, Aquinas, correct? Yes, sir. Well, that's the uh, last I heard. <laughs> yeah, same. So assuming that holds true, uh, that is a, literally a three-minute walk from my girlfriend's apartment. I'm very excited about that. So your broadcast partner might be a couch buddy? <laughs> yes. Uh, that, that, see, that's exciting. I mean, uh, we should, we should uh, talk up the home game some more probably, but uh, I, am, I'm, I guess I'm, I usually work on the home games and get to have fun on the away games. So that's, that's, I, I guess yeah, so. I mean – yeah, we're we're in the press box working, but obviously, you know, the the matchups in general, if you look at just the way that uh, things kind of shake up, we get AFC Ann Arbor back after a couple of years off. Going to be very exciting to see how those guys come back into action. Kalamazoo, obviously great uh, run of success last year. We get a couple of early cracks at them and then finish the season up over there or uh, hosting them, excuse me. And then three games as well against the Bucks. Uh, that's always a heated matchup. We've got a home and away over the uh, July 4th weekend, which I think is pretty cool. 
And then uh, another new team in Lansing. Not, I don't know what to expect from them. I haven't heard a whole lot about them. Uh, you'd probably be a lot more in tune to what to uh, what to expect from them. But yeah, I'm very excited just for the way that the schedule kind of shakes out here in terms of matchups as well. I'm with you with Lansing. I'm not sure what to expect, but we're I'm planning on having a pretty Lansing specific episode coming up here in the next few weeks. So we'll all collectively learn more about the the new group in uh, Lansing for the USL uh, two season. But yeah, that uh, that weekend in July, getting back to back bucks is uh, that's a tough stretch. That's probably a potential season uh, decider there, whether uh, who's going to make the playoffs or not. If we're uh, if if Oakland County FC is in the mix. Uh, the Bucks are usually hitting their stride about July, so th- that's definitely uh, going to be a big test for. But I'm going to be really excited. To, uh, I, I could potentially make uh, 11 out of 14 of these games, I think. I was going to say, yeah, there's there's many more games that I'm going to be at than I'm going to have to miss, which is a really exciting thing. You know, when you look at just off the top, the schedule last year, you know, you're thinking, oh, man, I got to go to Fort Wayne. I got to go to Cincinnati. You know, it's it's just it's tough to do that on a Sunday when you got to work on Monday. You know, <laughs> Cincinnati all, on a Sunday night. It's 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 a, it's a tough drive up 75. You know, it's um, we did it, but we're much happier just to go to uh, Grand Rapids for a weekend, I think. I mean, Cincinnati's like double the distance from that Columbus is, and I did that on a weeknight with one of our friends, Luke, and that drive home was absolutely brutal. And I don't even—that's not even that far away. So yeah, uh, pouring out to the guys who drove out to uh, Cincinnati last year, but none of that in twenty twenty two. Thankfully, and Rob. Just before we move on, let's not even—we're just talking as fans. Think about the players. You know, if you're a player, you got to drive four hours and then go play a soccer game. Like That's brutal. It's tough enough for me to scream and yell in the stands. I can't imagine going and playing 90 after piling into the back of a car for four hours, you know. So, yeah, happy to see those hot day. go away. We can see them in the playoffs and then it'll be fun. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, save the travel for the playoffs is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's when the road cool. trip coming. Another thing, Oakland County FC, we're, we're, we're definitely pausing here for a while, uh, my local side, so forgive my indulgence, but I am really pumped. I, I would be remiss to to not uh, note my excitement at the uh, Oakland County FC Supporters Trust board is being uh, kicked into gear after uh, kind of being stalled out due to the pandemic. And uh, back in 2018, uh, Oakland County FC opened up percentage of the team and uh, I think 178 members are so bought in and we have a supporters trust and we've had a, a number of great get togethers and there was always a plan to put a board in in place but uh when we got the nominations and we we're gonna hold the first elections was right i mean was it march <laughs> or april of 2020 right yeah so everyone was just like oh this is a bit much so i'm really glad that that's in motion nomination process is going on right now and there should be in february a vote to get our first board of the OCFC uh, supporters trust. I'm really excited about that. Um, the news keeps on coming. My roll sheet here of uh, all the topics is like so long. Uh, usually this, this segment of the show is usually like four minutes. 
of the, uh, <laughs> the, the news and no, headlines. It's, it's exciting times now. It's, I mean, just because there's snow on the ground and more on the way doesn't mean that uh, we can't think and talk about soccer. Oh, man, I've got my snowblower at the ready, my friend. Uh, yeah, I saw somebody the other day uh, using a, a leaf blower, and that was a new one. It was just like as the snow was falling, he was getting a, a, a jump on it. It was an interesting tactic. I live in a, a sidewalk-heavy neighborhood, and that's like keeping up with the Joneses. You gotta be, <laughs> you gotta be air blowing your snow off, or you're just like way overworking. <laughs> I like it though. Work as you go, and then it's not. Tough. <laughs> Definitely, that's the that's the hot front yard again tip. Um, but uh, more news. So uh, the U.S. Open Cup is coming back in 2022 had been around for a hundred plus years and, you know, hit a major roadblock with the pandemic, but is coming back this year with a new format. It's supposed to kick off in March this year. They're trying to keep it to one calendar year. Cause it used to kind of like overlap with the qualifying and it's a bit of a complicated process navigating amateur leagues across the nation, but the draw was supposed to happen today. Um, we are going to get a report from uh, Josh Hackala, the senior editor of the cup.us and also a pillar of um, the Michigan Soccer Central editorial staff in general. Um, one thing I do know is uh, the Detroit and the Stars will be the Michigan participants. So uh, we'll check in, get that report from Josh Hackla, and then you're going to hear my interview with Flint City Bucks. And Flint City AFC, the new Flint City AFC's president, Costa Papista. And we'll be right back after that with a bit of a reaction. And because I've consumed so much of a reaction media, we'll talk a little bit of USA versus Canada too. Here on Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. For those who are unfamiliar, the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, which began in 1913 and is one of the oldest cup competitions in the world, is the United States version of England's FA Cup. It's a single elimination tournament which is open to teams from every level of the game, from Major League Soccer to Sunday Beer League teams and everything in between. The USSF announced that this year's tournament would feature 103 teams, a record for the modern era of the competition, which began in 1995. Among those 103 teams, two of them are from Michigan, and we would have had a third, but Kalamazoo FC declined the invite. As for the teams that are in, all U.S.-based pro teams get in automatically, and that means the newest member of the USL Championship, Detroit City FC, received an automatic berth in the Open Cup. This will be LaRouge's fifth appearance in the tournament, but the first as a pro team. The previous four were as members of the NPSL, They were scheduled to take part in the tournament in 2020 and 2021 as a member of NISA, but the Open Cup was canceled both years due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It was the first time in history that the Open Cup was canceled. Before that cancellation, it was the second longest continually operating cup competition in the world. For better or worse, DCFC won't play the Flint City Bucks this year as they did not qualify out of USL League 2. LaRouche played them in each of the last three trips to the tournament. The Bucks beat them 3-0 in 2015 at the Ultimate Soccer Arenas in Pontiac. Detroit City beat them in penalty kicks after a scoreless draw in 2016 at Oakland University. And they went to penalty kicks again in 2018 with City coming out on top at Keyworth Stadium. 
DCFC hasn't had much success in their four previous Open Cup appearances. Those two penalty kick wins over the Bucks are actually the only times they have advanced in the competition, so statistically speaking, the club is still seeking their first win since penalty kick wins are officially listed as draws. Their best chance came in 2016 when they took Louisville City to penalty kicks on the road, but ultimately lost in the shootout. Just like Detroit City, the Michigan Stars would have played in 2020 and 2021, but the tournament was canceled. And now the club will finally make its tournament debut in 2022 as a member of NISA, which is the third division professional level of U.S. soccer. A third team from Michigan qualified for the U.S. Open Cup based on their regular season performance from the 2021 season. Kalamazoo FC would have made their first appearance in the tournament, but they declined the invitation due to USSF moving the start of the Open Cup to late March. This move was controversial because it means that summer league teams who compete in USL League 2 and the MPSL, who fill their rosters with current college players, will not have those college players available to them since they will be at their respective schools. So teams like Kalamazoo FC, the Long Island Rough Riders, Mississippi Bria, Boston Bolts, and the South Georgia Tormenta FC, too, declined to participate because they wouldn't be able to field the team. The tournament will kick off the week of March 22nd and 23rd with the first round. Detroit City and the Stars won't begin until the second round, which is scheduled for April 5th through the 7th. The draw for the first round is expected to take place this week, with the second round coming about a week later. The draws are done with the goal of minimizing travel, so most of the time the teams will be drawn against other teams in their region. There will be 31 games in the second round, and only 16 open division amateur teams will advance from round one. So there will be a number of pro teams squaring off against each other, leaving open the possibility of seeing Detroit City play the Michigan Stars in their opening game in round two. I'm Josh Hackle of thecup.us, reporting for Michigan Soccer Central. excited to get my next guest here on the show. I've been trying to get him for a while, and thankfully we've got him on the line. I'm very excited to welcome into our conversation Costa Papista, the president of the Flint City Bucks, as well as the Flint City AFC. Welcome to Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Yeah, life is busy. And uh, Michigan soccer has been super busy, so I'm really glad I've got you for a few moments and kind of talk about all the Bucks stuff because uh, it's been very active. Um, so I guess start off uh, your new um, uh, venture, Flint City AFC. Um, uh, tell us about uh, the new uh, women's soccer team that's part of the uh, Flint Bucks family. Well, we're very excited about this. We've had women's soccer on our radar for a while, basically since uh, Dan and I uh, partnered and, and uh, took the team to Atwood Stadium in Flint, the, the, the Bucks. And uh, of course, after our Cinderella story of 2019, everything was kind of shut down in 2020. So it kind of, uh, it, it, it put the 
plans for the women's side on the back burner a little bit. And we probably would have, without this partnership with Eddie Hudson, we probably would have waited one more season. But, um, you know, timing is everything. And we had an opportunity to uh, talk to Eddie, who basically founded uh, Corktown AFC. Uh, They were very interested in entering USLW. And uh, we obviously have our franchise has been a part of USL, you know, forever, basically. So we had the, the relationships there on the league side and it was, it was kind of a perfect uh, merger, if you will. We, we, we basically ended up acquiring um, Eddie's franchise, his, his first team. And uh, so we'll, you know, we're, we're hoping to hit the ground running we think we're going to be very competitive right out of the gate on the women's side. And uh, that hopefully will be similar to what we did in 2019 as far as starting out in Flint with a very competitive team, having uh, formed that relationship with the Michigan Bucks. So there are some similarities there, and we're really excited uh, to launch uh, this coming spring. This winter has uh, seen a flurry of activity. Uh, USL's footprint in the Great Lakes state has uh, multiplied uh, time over time. And, and just week by week, it seems like as far as the USLW uh, coming in and there's four teams, uh, I, as far as I my last count, Midwest, Flint, Ann Arbor, and Detroit. Um, I did some commentary on, uh, a, they were just the week in between Christmas and New Year, there was a... Uh, a holiday tournament, and I was calling them uh, Corktown Hawks. And so December, they the Hawks and Corktown develop a relationship. And then just a few weeks later, beginning of the new uh, partnership, Flint City AFC, um, were all those things connected there? Slightly, but I, I would say on, on uh, for the first team, it's a direct connection between Eddie the Corktown first team and, and Flint. And, and so they, uh, my understanding is that the, there will be other teams that will continue at the corner ballpark on Michigan Avenue uh, under the Corktown Hawks moniker and playing in, uh, in a different league. But the, the top team will be in Flint at, at Wood Stadium and that was the uh, that was the partnership that we formed, and that we're really excited about. Ah, uh, I see, I see. So um, the the avenues for women's players is uh, is, is multiplying rather than uh, moving. I guess it is in that situation. It is absolutely, and we're I, I can't really emphasize enough how excited we are in Flint and Genesee County. There's a pretty uh, significant number of youth soccer players, not only in Flint, Genesee County, Lapeer County, but when you talk about the tri-counties above us, but still in mid-Michigan, there's a ton of youth soccer on the boys and girls side. And I just think this is going to create some great exposure and opportunities uh, for girls and boys. Yeah. uh, Speaking of which, um, with the talking about the, the surrounding counties and Flint itself, um, was there much history of uh, a strong youth soccer there? And I guess what are the sort of things that are uh, in the works 
for cultivating that local talent you're talking about? I, I think there always has been a pretty strong history. I think it maybe it's been a little bit under the overall sports radar, but uh, I know uh, our family, we, we lived in Saginaw for 10 years and uh, our oldest daughter started playing uh, in, in the uh, Saginaw youth soccer organization. And then she uh, moved on and played a little bit with Vardar and then Gators, which of course became Nationals. And, you know, Nationals now has a very large presence on the boys and girls side in Tri-County, which is Saginaw, Bay, and Midland. And then also in Genesee County, there's a very big presence. And then, of course, DCFC is in Genesee. Um, and you've got uh, uh, LaForza slash, you know, Jags in Genesee County. There, there's a lot going on. And then in Flint, uh, specifically, there's a um, Flint Area United, which is a, a, a local nonprofit travel organization for girls and boys that we've done a lot of work with, and they've been growing significantly. Um, and that, it's a great program because they, they end up um, subsidizing any kind of cost for kids or families that that can't afford to play travel soccer, they make sure they have a home there, and it's a it's just a great nonprofit uh, organization. So, yeah, there's a lot a lot going on, a lot of really good things happening, and that doesn't even include all the strong high school programs like Grand Blank and Powers and Davison. Like, there's some really uh, good soccer programs at the high school level in mid Michigan as well. So you were talking about, this is a first uh, team sort of switch. So a lot of the players that we saw last year suiting up for uh, Corktown will be uh, gracing the field at Atwood. Yes, exactly. And the, the division, um, like I said, it really has, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been created here over the last month or two, or at least uh, publicly. Um, is there any more teams to come? Uh, I was looking up, is there a complete division for um, the women's division? There is. And I, I believe, uh, don't quote me on this, um, but of <laughs> course it's, it's being recorded. So that too bad that's out the window. But I, I would say, I think it's looking like either four divisions or four conferences is what I believe uh, it will end up being. And uh, you you mentioned the Michigan teams. The one team that also got added is Kalamazoo. Right. So we've got Ann Arbor, Kalamazoo, DCFC, ourselves in Flint, Midwest, and then Louisville, uh, Kings Hammer, which is Cincinnati, and Indy 11. Um, and I believe that kind of rounds out our, our division slash conference. So... A lot, a lot of really uh, strong programs will be involved in in this league right out of the gate. Uh, I know the men's side; the schedule uh, is is just about finished. Um, do you perceive that the USL uh, W team will um, play on the same days as the Bucks, or will it likely be um, alternate sort of days? I think it'll end up being alternate. We've, we've been working on both schedules. Uh, that's front and center right now. And I think uh, 
each team will have their own, uh, um, uh, you know, unique home dates. That's the way it's kind of looking. And we'll end up with a lot of Friday and Saturday nights for both the men and the women. And, uh, and we're excited about that because those are, those are typically the nights that our fans are excited about, uh, coming out to the stadium. So, um, yeah, we'll have, uh, the men and women will have their own unique home dates. That's exciting. Many more nights to get out and, uh, you know, take in our favorite sport. And in the summer, there's a plethora, but, uh, you know, come early August, late July, the summer ball, you know, goes away. And uh, the Bucks last year extended their season with a series of, uh, of exhibitions against uh, other local Michigan teams. Is that a, a practice that you guys think that you'll continue? We will because the weather is just too beautiful and perfect not to. And so we end up when we do that, a lot of our college players, yes, do go back uh, to their collegiate teams, but we're able to recruit other more local talent. Uh, Many of those players have had connections with us before. Maybe they've graduated from college and they, they don't have a professional contract yet. And so they're, they're, we found that we had the ability to bring in some really, really high caliber players to, uh, to continue that schedule. And it was, I think it worked out really well for our opponents as well. As you say, you know, local, other local uh, Michigan teams, I think it was a great experience for everybody. It makes it tricky with the way it's set up with uh, the use of college players. They go back in and, like you said, the, the 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 pool of players like in shape, not in contract, willing to play and commit. It, you know, your the pool gets shorter or shallower. Um, if 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 more teams are going to take on the extended year, like what kind of things can be in place to 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 open up that pool of players? Well, I think some of the, and I'm not, I'm not an expert on some of the leagues, some of the regional leagues that are, that are out there, but I know that they, they have fall seasons. So there, there are, there are actually quite a few players that are committed, that are in, you know, really, really good shape that are committed and planning on, on playing a fall season on, on one of these local teams in the Metro Detroit area, as an example. And we, you know, we, through our recruiting channels, through our coaching staff, uh, Andy, Michael, Louie, uh, Gary Parsons, I mean, we have, and not to mention Dan, I mean, we have, um, I guess I safe to say we have a lot of relationships out there. So we're able to, um, we're able to find, really high caliber players that are uh, able to continue playing beyond the USL season in, in these friendlies and still represent the brand, you know, in, in a really positive way. So that's, that, I, I don't know if that, if that really applies to everyone else, some teams really aren't that interested in continuing, you know, beyond the uh, USL schedule. But for us, we, we, we like it. We think it's good. You know, it's good for us and we, it's good for soccer. And um, it's, it's a great opportunity for the community up in Flint to continue to come out when the weather is, is gorgeous, which it, 
typically is in, in August and September. Yeah, that uh, late summer, early fall is, is a great window. And, you know, during typical uh, summer ball or USL season, you know, May, June, July, it's either scorching or thunderstorm or something. So it would be nice to capitalize on th that moment of the calendar. I guess it just kind of tickled my brain that you guys had that series of exhibition games. Uh, and then shortly after that, in the USL's supporter survey, they asked, uh, they polled interest in, uh, would you be interested in extending the season? And so it kind of seemed like uh, maybe there was a theme there and other, other clubs might feel the same way. Yep. And, and, and there certainly are clubs in, in the league. I know I've, I've talked to a few down in Tampa at our, at our league meetings, definitely are teams that, that would, that would uh, like to extend the season. The, 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 it's not really a problem, but the reality is if you, as a league, if we were to extend the season, it would be obviously a challenge with the collegiate players. So everyone would have to have access to a deeper pool of talent, but that typically means extending on the front end too. And uh, you know, in Michigan, that's not always a ton of fun. You know, to yeah, that be... first two weeks of May is basically winter. <laughs> well, I mean, but even going earlier than that, I mean, if you look at, you know, the professional schedules, they're starting in March. And I mean, in, in, you know, half the country, that might be fantastic. But in Michigan, I don't know. Uh, it's like for us to extend our schedule, we would really only want to do that on, on the back end and just taking advantage of great, great weather. So you can really put on a nice, you know, community, an outdoor community event. Kind of speaking of uh, maybe hypothetical, a few years ago, uh, there was a nice event, at least for me as a fan, the Michigan Milk Cup, where there was a handful of amateur teams from across different leagues all played in the tournament. Is there any plans for like a, a state cup or anything like across leagues? Is there, has there been any talk of that uh, at a larger level post-pandemic? So I think, and I'm not the source, uh, but the source can be found in Ann Arbor. I think the Mill Cup is going to happen this year. I've, I've heard uh, some some real positive um, uh, feelings coming coming out about that. So I'm, I'm hoping that Mill Cup will... Uh, will happen again this year. Uh, one thing that we haven't publicly released yet, but um, I'm hoping will happen as well, is the Hank Steinbrecher Cup, which is something that we were planning on hosting in 2020. Um, and of course, you know, the, the season didn't really happen. Um, and then they, they, the Hank Steinbrecher Cup committee took 21 off as well, but they've been talking to us about potentially doing it this summer. So I think there's a pretty good chance from what I've been hearing that we'll be able to host that tournament um, in, in, it would be around the first weekend of June. And that would be ourselves plus uh, probably three other, uh, three other teams from different leagues uh, one might be from USL again, but at least two teams from two different leagues would be joining in that. Of course, none of that has been announced yet, but 
that's something that we can look forward to. And I, and I hope that does happen as well. For the listeners, could you get some context to what uh, the Heinz Stenbrecher uh, tournament entails and what the history is? It, it, yeah, it's it's been going, I believe, five years, five or six years, and it's basically they they pick the the amateur champions from uh, three, a minimum of three leagues, uh, to you know to face off against each other. So the, so the previous year's uh, champion. So um, that's that's how we were. Um, selected as host in 2020, which didn't happen. And so it's just been getting pushed back. Um, So the question is, will they go back to some of those franchises, some of those organizations, as far as how they did in 2019, or are they going to look at uh, last year's results? That I'm not sure of. Um, But uh, we'll be assuming that the tournament does happen this year, once we get the green light, we'll definitely be putting out a lot of information about it. Would that be a, a hypothetically, would that be like a one weekend event? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Almost like a, a super cup for the America, you know, top amateur American teams then? Yes, exactly. And typically teams would travel uh, on a Thursday. There'd be two semifinal games on a Friday, a banquet on the Saturday, uh, and and the final Sunday afternoon. Very cool. That would be very exciting. And so uh, fingers crossed that uh, that uh, happens in early June. Um, other news that came out this week uh, relating to uh, the Bucks and USL Division Two. The the divisions were released this week, and um, the the division changed quite a bit from last year. Uh, it's all there's six teams, all Michigan based, uh, no more out of state opponents. So, what do you think of the new Great Lakes division? I like it, I think it's great. I think it'll be great for travel for all the teams involved. It'll also be great for fans to travel because everything is relatively close. So, I, I think it's great. Um, and it's also a, a positive that the league has seen the growth that it has. Uh, I believe in 2019, we had 75 teams in that neighborhood across the country, and now we're up to over 110. So there's been quite quite a bit of uh, growth in the league, and I think it's uh, been positive growth, meaning the teams that have come in are, you know, are, are run very well and um, the professionalism is there and I, I think it's great. I'm, I'm really, I'm excited about it. Yeah. Everything, uh, I've learned to appreciate, uh, teams come and go, there's reshaping of divisions. So I really have learned to appreciate individual games and moments, uh, you know, being invested in the, the, uh, American soccer world. I gotta say, I love that there's, it's all in Michigan and close, but I feel like we were starting to get a couple maybe rivalries with like Toledo, maybe South Bend going. I agree with you. I agree with you. And, you know, some of the Ohio teams, uh, you know, Kings Hammer, Dayton as well, especially Kings Hammer. Um, yeah, I guess we're going to have to wait and see them at playoff time. But speaking of Toledo, we do have a friendly on the books with Toledo Villa, and that is May 14th the second saturday so we're excited we'll get to see them uh to kick off the year that that'll be before 
our home opener, which will be the following uh, Saturday, the 21st. But yeah, otherwise we'll have to wait until playoff time. Yeah, they were an exciting away day. I was away there uh, for 5-5 with Oakland County FC, which is a game I won't forget. And uh, that division last year was uh, extremely tight. So many close games. It really was exciting. I- I'm really excited to almost have uh, who's the best of Michigan sort of a, a feeling. I'm trying to get my old college buddies from Kalamazoo to to, to hitch their, their wagons onto Kalamazoo so we could have some cross-state <laughs> rivalry. Absolutely. We, I know we had a very, even though we only saw Kalamazoo one time last year, just because of the way the schedule aligned within our division, we were, uh, we were extremely uh, competitive. I mean, they, you know, they, they beat us uh, in Kalamazoo um, and that ended up being a, a costly game for us as far as how the division ended up shaping, shaping up at the end. But uh, so we've got a good little rivalry going with Kalamazoo. We we really like them a lot off the pitch, but we're extremely competitive with each other on the pitch. I'd like to take just like a little bit of a step back um, for those um, not super steeped in the the history of uh, this level of play and the Bucks themselves. Um, USL League Two, the division and league we're talking about, is top amateur uh elite amateur league formerly called the pdl or the pro development league and for a couple decades uh the bucks were the only team or one of uh two teams i believe uh uh, kalamazoo was in the pdl at times um and then now looking at the the landscape uh there's there's six teams in this division at this level uh i guess what's the what's changed in uh what's how does the Bucks organization feel about uh, instead of being the one or one of two being one of a handful? Well, number one, I, I came into this in 2018. So I don't, I don't have the history like Dan and Gary and, and, and Andy. Uh, those guys could probably speak to this uh, a little bit better. But w- the one thing I do know, there's, there's lots of talent in Michigan um, and I, I think this is, I think it's great for Michigan to have this caliber of league and these, all these opportunities for players right here, you know, in, in the state. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think, you know, the league has definitely grown and in, in a good way. Um, you know, the Bucks have a, a great history of, um, getting players drafted into MLS. I think we're up to 93 or 94 players uh, either drafted or signed over, over the years. And we've had probably another hundred plus sign other professional contracts around the world. And so, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's definitely our mission. We, we want to continue to, uh, be a destination for some of the best uh, amateur talent that's looking to use us as a stepping stone to get to the next level. And I, I personally love that. My uh, background is more on the on the hockey side, but still player development. So I I really love that concept of um, creating great opportunities for players to to um, to move on to the highest levels that they can play at. So 
that's something we take a lot of pride in. And uh, yeah, so I, as far as USL, their growth and, and their growth in the state of Michigan, I think it's fantastic. And I think it just creates some great opportunities for more players in Michigan. I think it's a real positive. Yeah, the <clears throat> I really appreciate that answer. And just, I don't know, the the, the rise of the, the USL in both the women's and the men's, um, it's really almost sprouting. There's so many different avenues for players and uh, organizations to really have teams and pro aspirations because between um, I saw there's also announced that uh, USL is launching. There was news to announce in the early in December. They said they're going to launch the uh, USL Super League, which is uh, aiming to be a Division Two pro women's team. And then um, obviously there's USL League One, latest USL Championship, and then now uh, within the same time frame, MLS Next Pro has been introduced as uh, a lower tiered uh, professional team. Does uh, Flint or the Bucks have aspirations to follow any of those paths towards professional team? You know, I I, I don't know yet. I think potentially in the future, yes. I think the key, you know, before we would entertain something like that at, at a higher professional level, we would just have to know business-wise that it could be sustained for a long time and not just a, a, a short-term experiment. Uh, but it's, I think it is something we would look at down the road. Uh, I think the most important thing for us is just to continue to grow and build our, our fan base. And if we can, if we can support that, down the road, I think that's something we would we would definitely look at. It is very exciting, um, and just you know, getting back to the number of opportunities that that are being created for players on the men men's and women's side, it's just fantastic. It's great. Um, so I'm 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 excited about all all of this news and all of this growth in the game in in the U.S. Um, I think it's 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 great for all of us. Yeah, definitely lots of growth like you said uh teams a whole division worth of teams in Michigan. And since you've been uh involved with the Bucks, uh you helped uh with the the rebranding and the moving to Flint and then in the time since uh Detroit has made uh Detroit City has made a big jump into the USL and like you said uh, the Bucks have a a long history uh connected to usl how did that uh work out because in my folklore sort of knowledge or a spoken word um how did the the territory rights and all that work out to where we got to this point with uh another team in the usl and then the bucks and flint on the territory side i would have to defer that to uh to the league because uh, I'm not, I'm not really um, involved too much in 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 those discussions, but I I think that uh, you know USL Championship being uh, in Michigan I think is 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 great, um, and I think it's I mean I'm excited for uh, DCFC to to be under the USL umbrella. I think it's I think it's I, I really I I can't say enough positive things about the league as far as 
how they operate. They're, you know, very professional, very organized. It's, it, it's a great uh, organization to be a part of. And I know a lot of the teams um, that are in our division right now, as an example, they've all, you know, shared those same sentiments that, you know, they, they've been really impressed with how the league is run, how it's handled. It's, it's really, and, and that trickles down to the players too. The players get a better experience as a result of, you know, a really well run league. So, um, yeah, I think it's it, it's all it's all very positive. Yeah, the, I'm all about uh, adding density to uh, just the state and just soccer in general. Um, hopefully, over time, there can be a way where it all functions uh, together. But it is great to see um, all the different levels starting to fill in. If we look to the countries, I guess we aspire to in England. You know, there's a bazillion different tiers of team and. Um, that's awesome to see. And it seems to be uh, hopefully filling in because big cities as well as small towns across Michigan are are creating teams and people have the ambition and there's a will. And like you said, there's a lot of talent and a lot of players. So it is uh, truly exciting times. And uh, it seems like over the last few weeks that you blink and you, and you miss a, a new piece of news. That's true. You know, one other thing that, that I just, uh, remembered there, there's an organization in Flint that has been running a, a football, a, a, an American football uh, tournament at Atwood stadium. It's called the gridiron classic. And it's, it, it's a great, great event. And that same organization now is talking about doing the same thing for soccer high school. So basically the top uh, high school programs on the boys and girls side. So that's something else that could be coming this year at the stadium uh, and, and, and we're going to be working closely with them, but that'll be another, you know, really positive event and uh, you know, attract another, another audience to the stadium. And you said that, what was the program called? It's, it's known as the gridiron classic right now. And it's a nonprofit organization out of Flint and the same group is exploring. And I think it's going to happen a uh, a tournament of some of the top high school teams so most likely mid-michigan uh some of the top girls and boys high school programs in a spring and a fall uh tournament very cool very cool i'm glad to um it's it's great to hear um roots connecting with um the area up there in flint uh, and just yeah increasing the 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 visibility and the, the opportunities uh, in that part of the state. That's, that's great to hear. Um, as far we've talked kind of like a little bit of big picture stuff as far as 2022 um, for the, the Bucks fans, like what might they be able to expect? Is there anything new to the game day or uh, what, 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 what can, is there anything new in uh, 2022 uh, on the men's side? And then is there anything different about the game day for, uh, the new uh, Flint City AFC you want to talk about? So uh, basically we're, we're hoping we can kind of get back to the 2019 program where we don't have any, you know, capacity limitations to start the season. And, and, and I think we're all on the same page as far as everyone wanting uh, this summer to be as, as normal as possible, but we'll be, we'll be introducing some more food trucks to the stadium 
We're going to have a permanent uh, kid zone with inflatables and all that good stuff at every game. Um, and hopefully the, uh, the VIP tent and the bar area will be back in, in full swing this summer. That's our anticipation. It should be, it should be really good. I mean, we've, um, just on, on the, you know, business side of things, companies in, in our community have been really excited to kind of come back out and, and be all on board again with, the program down at the stadium. So um, I, I, I would say I, I'm pretty bullish on this summer being a really good summer. I'm just hoping like everyone else that the pandemic, uh, you know, peaks here pretty soon and then starts tailing off uh, dramatically so that everyone feels really comfortable, you know, gathering basically in, in a beautiful outdoor environment. I, uh, I, I definitely agree. Uh, I would love to have, yeah, uh, a summer that where we can uh, return to being spontaneous uh, a little bit. Uh, not everything has to be so. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to be so so structured and pre-planned with all of our uh, interpersonal interactions. And you know, definitely when we returned to soccer last summer in 2020 was amazing, and I, I made me appreciate what all went into a game day even more with all the different people that are involved, like the facility people, the, 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 the broadcasting people, the coaches, and just, uh, the, you know, when we were so isolated from each other, just like every individual that, you know, makes the game day, uh, my appreciation level went way up. Absolutely. The other thing I should mention too, is we're going to continue broadcasting our games on the CW, which, reaches into about 400,000 households in mid-Michigan. And we will definitely be featuring uh, a bunch of the women's games as well. So we're kind of excited about that to, you know, um, get people uh, familiar with the new women's side um, through through that broadcast. So that, that that's another bit of news that we're looking forward to in uh, 2022. Yeah, are you guys? Do you guys have a like a specific uh, marketing campaign or something unique to uh, Flint City AFC? So we're we're about to launch a pretty significant season ticket push for the men and the women. Um, so there will be you, you know you'll, you'll you'll be seeing lots of things on social media on across all of the platforms promoting both players. We've got. We actually have a lot of player commitments uh, in the can that we haven't released yet, but we're going to start uh, putting those out very shortly. So the, I think what, what's going to happen if all goes well is it, it'll be a real kind of ramp up to the spring between now and the 1st of May. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're excited to really throw everything at the women's team as well as the men's. And hopefully, like I said, we can return to like a 2019-ish type of summer where we, you know, really have uh, people excited to come into the stadium and not, you know, not really overly concerned about, uh, again, hopefully the, the pandemic is kind of uh, uh, on its way out the door by, by May 1st. That's what, that's what I'm really hoping for. And, and uh and according to all the modeling, that's that's what the, the the medical community is saying. There, people are predicting that we should have a pretty good summer this year. 
Yeah, fingers crossed on that. And yeah, 2022 should be even better than last year because we kind of went in, uh, soccer kind of went in half thinking that this whole thing might get canceled. And uh, like you said, stadium limit. So it'll it'll be good to go into a year, you know, full-throated, uh, so to speak. But um, when you're, well, well, I guess I got uh, <clears throat> just a couple loose ends here. The U.S. Open Cup has kind of changed the calendar and the format um, I, if I have it right, uh, there's supposed to be a spring start. Do the Bucks have any, uh, are they going to enter the competition? You know, as far as I know, I don't think we have been, I don't think we have been invited now. Uh, I've also heard that, um, that could be a moving target, meaning w- what statistics are being used to determine who's in meaning, do they go back to the uh, are, are we going back at all to 2019 or are we basing everything off of 21? Um, so I, as far as I know right now, I, I don't think we have an invite. Okay. I see. Um, so even if, uh, it was on, you might not necessarily be participating due to, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like it's gotten a little bit muddled, I guess, even in my mind, how 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 it's going to work here to restart yeah, it all? I, I believe that the 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 number of teams overall, amateur teams, is down. And then taking it a step further, USL, I believe we've been cut out e- even more than that. Um, so it, it, I my understanding, and really Dan Dan is the expert on this, but my understanding is that there's very very few spots for USL teams the way the tournament is structured today. And then the other thing is because of the early start date, if, if it truly is going to start, I think I heard in potentially in March, um, you know, that obviously that's very tough for USL franchises that really kind of bank on their top talent coming from uh, active collegiate programs. So uh, I guess that's, I guess we'll have to see how that ends, ends up playing out. Yeah, I sure hope uh, Open Cup does come back uh, to uh, a, a good form at some point here. Fingers crossed that uh, that happens this year, but <laughs> we'll see. But as far as uh, uh, things that we know for sure, uh, we have USL League Two as far and uh, USLW seasons sitting here. You know, very uh, you know early preseason stages. We're talking about forming the schedules and divisioning and whatnot. When it comes August time, uh, what what kind of goals will have you wanted to hit? Well, I I really you know, I'm I'm really hoping that both teams perform well. Uh, I know that we will be very involved in 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 our community. We'll be doing a lot of lot of good things uh, in Flint with free clinics on the men's and women's side, and really engaging with the youth soccer uh, players in in our area. Um, I'm hoping that by the end of the season, we can look back and say, hey, it was it, it was a great year. We had great weather, hopefully. Um, and, and we, you know, hopefully the attendance was was good and and back to uh, 2019 levels. Um, that, that's the other thing. Last summer we had it was really kind of crazy. We had four Saturday nights, two of them we had lightning storms. And the other two, we had tornadoes come through Genesee County. And it was like, 
wow, I mean, th- those would have been four of our bigger nights. And they ended up being, you know, we, we, we just barely were able to play those games and they were delayed by multiple hours. So um, it was a crazy weather uh, season last summer. So I'm hoping, hoping Mother Nature is a little bit more generous this year. But uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's the risk you take when you're playing outdoors. But we're, 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 we're excited about the season. And, uh, and I, I'm hoping we can look back and say, you know, we had a pretty darn normal summer that that would be really great news. It sure would. It sure would. Well, thank you so much, Costa Papista, president of the Flint City Bucks, as well as Flint City AFC. Thank you so much for covering so much ground with uh, me today on uh, Michigan Soccer Central podcast. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. All right, listener, we're back here. Final segment of Michigan Soccer Central Podcast. Recording late into the hours of January 31st, 2022. Uh, You know, in over our shoulders, up to our nose, maybe past our uh, thinning heads in soccer news. And a big thanks to uh, Costa Papista. Really enjoyed uh, getting his perspective and learning about Flint City AFC, the new USLW team in Flint and uh, interesting notes about uh, the relationship with uh, we were talking about in the first segment with youth teams kind of branching out and making partnerships. So uh, AFC Corktown partnering with the, uh, the Hawks, which is a big uh, youth club. And then uh, the owners of AFC are our Corktown uh, partnering up with uh, Flint up there to make uh, the a lot Flint of names to keep, keep AFC. Track uh, so yeah, so I was excited that like I might might uh, you might have heard it from there, but uh, the most thing I was excited was that, that there's multiple teams. I thought the team that was in Corktown was moving up there, but there's just another team. Yeah, uh, that was an interesting point. I'm glad you clarified that. And cool for me always just to get that peek behind the curtain and talk to somebody who's in on these discussions and see how these deals are made and how these things come together. You know, uh, there's, we know there's a whole lot of political and behind the scenes, um, goings on, I guess you could say that we fans don't often get to see. So that little peek behind the curtain, pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, I think I'm just excited in general for there to be a uh, great lakes division, both men's and women's, you know, kind of gung-ho with, you know, lots of competition in all, you know, the cities across the state. And just that in general um, is very exciting. We definitely have a summer of soccer ahead of us. And uh, like you said, in American soccer, we shall see, uh, you know, let's take it day by day and match by match and appreciate it when it's here. Yeah. I mean, going back to the volatility point that I made earlier, you know, we've just seen some cautionary tales. So, while we should certainly get excited, there's plenty of reason to get excited. But uh, you know, it's um, it's it's always a slippery slope, I would say. And uh, you know, I guess wait and see is always the best policy. Yes, thank you very much uh, to Acosta Papista for uh, joining us this week. And like I said, uh, going into the interview, and also thank you to Josh Hackle, senior editor of uh, the Cup U.S. and uh, here at Michigan Soccer Central. Uh, thank you for giving us that update. 
Um, really complicated situation with so many teams in a new format and then some rogue teams from multiple leagues. Uh, a lot to keep track of. And uh, he does such a good job. So thanks for that. But um, I wanted to chew on it just because uh, it actually happened really close to us. Not a lot of uh, USA games have happened close to us here in Michigan, but just uh, over uh, into our uh, neighbors to the east and slash north. Uh, Canada defeated the Americans yesterday. Um, this will just be a slice of time because we're in between the second and third game of this qualification window. Um, I would say, um, except for the Tyler Adams injury, I was, I was okay with, with getting beat right there because the last time we had a bad result against Canada, well, like a year or two ago, uh, Burhalter switched things up and we had a good form. And then, you know, we've come full circle back up here, got, you know, I would say that's our most even match that the USA men's team has had. You know, we've had random friendlies against like the juggernauts, like the Brazils and Colombia's and the European teams and losing to them. It's like, oh, clearly we're not on the, on their level. And then when we beat up on like Central American countries, you know, we're expected to. And so when Canada is kind of like waking up and have talent and they're like kind of at a similar trajectory. Obviously they're having an amazing, they're undefeated in world cup qualifying. And then, um, you know, USA is also aspirational on like a, a youth, uh, come up. And then that was like the most even battle, uh, matchup that I can remember. And they lost. And, uh, I, I wasn't even too mad about it just, you know, cause you lost, but the Tyler Adams injury, like kind of, borderline goes into disaster territory yeah it really does because he's one of one of the guys you're absolutely going to be counting on if this team is going to qualify for world cup and then do anything while it's there so yeah that was a tough uh tough break in that game obviously you're gonna lose some games i'm not too eaten up about it but just the i'd like us to show up in a big game for once and you know that's a bit it. harsh i mean we've won those uh those tournaments last summer i guess but eh, it just I, I the world cup is the tournament right if you're not there in my mind you're you're not a factor on the world stage at all so get there I guess win this next game or else we got big problems. Like I said earlier, this is a little bit of a slice of time. You know, yeah. I was actually pleased first game narrow victory. I'd say winning a game when you didn't play all that well, you know, smile to yourself about that. Lose a game against, you know, top of the table rival, bad. But third game, if that goes south, it is a pucker up time. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the the rubber sitting the road, and I uh, got to start picking up points, or else you get left behind. Until uh, this last game, actually, after I had a little bit of a thought after that uh, first game of this uh, session, the one that the one zero win over was at El Salvador. Yeah, um, I was actually thinking if you were kind of like in a coma for a few years and you woke up and. For whatever reason, you check in on the USA. How how are how's this team doing? I haven't checked on them. And if you really kind of dropped, you know, drop from the sky or wake up from a coma sort of scenario, and you'd say the USA 
have come off of not qualifying. And they're trying to qualify for the next one with a team of pretty much a U23 side with a couple stars, but, you know, a few, a few promising talents, but nothing is, you know, sealed the deal. And they're in, they're definitely in the mix in a pretty good position to qualify with a U23 team with their number one star being out of form with no recognized number nine and a coach that's not overly convincing. That's not that bad of a situation to be fair. If, if you're in the mix with all those like kind of like hardships laid in the way, I think it's actually not as dire situation. Obviously you got to make it, but I mean, it was never going to be simple. I mean, even if you have, I feel like even if you have the best U23 team in the world, they're going to be kind of raggedy and sporadic and show good moments of quality, but not be able to put it all together consistently or even throughout a whole game. I mean, yesterday was definitely frustrating against Canada, but I think that there's a little bit of perspective needed, you know, grand scheme of things like very young team and, you know, star players not at their peak and, you know, no real striker. But at a certain point, you expect guys to exceed expectation, you know, or else they just continue to be who they are, which is probably a team that's right about where they are. You know, maybe they're good enough to appear in the World Cup. Maybe they're not. We'll just kind of have to wait and see. But at at what point does this team get two, three guys who are better than we expect them to be? I mean, it happens all over sports, but seemingly not with the U.S. men's national team over the last bunch of years. Well, I, I, I take a little bit of exception. I mean, Weston McKinney played amazingly, I thought. I mean, not perfect because who can be, but, I mean, he he's impressed me from going through the summer of him being like, uh, or late, was it, uh, whenever he got suspended from the team, you were kind of concerned that he might be kind of going off the rails and blowing his chance to be, like, the guy. And ever since coming back from that suspension from the team, he, he has been probably their best guy and way I couldn't go to Canada and he's probably been the most goal-threatening player for the most part from open play and and I don't know it's just a bit of a quagmire you would say like I said uh it was it was a great game because they were truly tested and it was a team that was like you know pretty much on their level yeah and um so I like to see him push like that if they're not either like overwhelming underdogs or over you know vice versa they you know right on the head square dog rivalry. And I think, you know, there's no way that they can be, you know, too high on themselves within the group at this point. No. And I, I would hope that a, a two nil loss to a team that is ahead of you in the table. And like you say, kind of on an even playing field in terms of team makeup and maybe expectation that that might kind of rattle their cage and say, Hey, we got to shift this thing into gear now, now. Like next game now got to be a win. So I got one more, I got one more conniption about all this. Who would have thought that a young player, a young talented player could have his career sent sideways by going to Chelsea. I mean, how many times have we seen a young talented players, you know, 
you know, kind of get in a, there's like a, a, an angst that's get, gets thrown upon talented young players at, at Chelsea. Um, and it's kind of wild. I, I wasn't necessarily all the way on the, he needs a move because he was still getting playing time. And the argument that he doesn't get playing time seemed a bit rich. The fact that Chelsea's arguably, you know, top three, top five, hardest team in the world to get into probably. But I mean, we've seen the likes, but I wouldn't write him off. Like, obviously he's not in the right way right now. It's not clicking at the moment. You know, I don't think he's not uh, an amazing player, but you know, one, two touches this way or that way is you getting smashed or you passing it and your teammate scores or something like that. But, and we shouldn't count his, uh, you know, career being fizzled, even if he does leave Chelsea kind of in a negative way. I mean, most Salah's gone down that path. I mean, other players, Kevin De Bruyne yeah. has been down that path. They all were, you know, classified as, you know, Chelsea failures, and they're two of the biggest players in the world. So not to say Christian Pulisic is necessarily going to be that, but, you know, having a, a fraught time at Chelsea is, is not just, you know, rare to him. I bet Ziyech fans feel similar to how Pulisic fans feel. Well, and that's the thing, you know, they brought in Pulisic and then they brought in Ziyech and they brought in Werner and they brought in Kai Havertz and they brought in a bunch of guys who kind of played the same position on top of already having Mason Mount. Not to derail this into a Premier League discussion, but there's a lot of guys on Chelsea that do the same thing that Christian Pulisic does and the fact that he hasn't been able to differentiate himself amongst that group. I guess might be a little bit worrying, but when you think about it, those are all big money guys that were all brought into a big money club. So I'm not worried about Pulisic. I think you put him on just about any other team in the Premier League and he is consistently a starter every week and probably one of the better players on that team. So I'm not worried about him. I'd be more worried about Chelsea. You can't seem to figure out their best starting eleven. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we, yeah. I mean, Chelsea, they bought a million players at the same position, similar to Manchester United bought, you know, a million wingers too. And, and the other thing is, you know, is it is Pulisic not playing well because he's not getting time or is he not getting time because he's not playing well? It's the, the chicken and the egg scenario. You know, he doesn't get a whole lot of starts. Is that because he doesn't do well in training or... Is it just because of the lineup rotation? There's a lot of, of factors. I, he's still a very young, promising player. I wouldn't uh, wouldn't give up on him. No, not at all. I mean, like I said, one of the hardest places in the world to, to, to land a consistent spot. And just even if he does wash out there, I mean, he can still have an amazing career somewhere else. So just, just to make sure I understand, you are predicting that like 10 years down the line, he'll follow in Mo Salah's steps and be like the best player in the world? I mean, that path has been treaded before. I mean, I can't say he's going to do it, but that's, I mean, when when he took the transfer there, there was a whole lot of teams in for Pulisic as far as we've, you know, transfer, you know, internet stuff. And, I, you know, Chelsea was probably, probably one of the hardest landing spots. Either they were Manchester United, you know, churn, churn up young money players uh, like it's nothing. So, I mean, other than two... Other than those two places, or maybe it's City, you know, they have a million good players. I think he'd, you know, he can start for, for almost any team if he's in form, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, whether he's going to be consistently, but 
when he's healthy, he puts together streaks that teams, you know, up and down the, the ranks will probably always pay for the fact that even if he doesn't have, hopefully that this is a kind of a dire slant. If he never hits the heights that he did at the, his certain peaks at Chelsea, there's still going to be teams around the world that will want him on their team for the hopes of returning to that form. Absolutely. But it's too soon to speak about that. And uh, that's some of the things I wanted to get off my chest. That, that was the, the big game uh, that's going on right now, obviously. Two out of three World Cup qualifiers for USA down. Another one tomorrow night in uh, the chilly uh, <laughs> Minneapolis-St. Paul, who's probably supposed to be like in the middle of the blizzard that's coming our way. But um, yeah, how do it's going to be like in the single digits up there yeah it's hopefully everyone has their hamstrings and their toes and stuff when they're done that's it seems gambling and it seems wild that 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 field that they played on in canada was legit because i i know it got pretty messy and complicated with uh the men's and the women's national teams and if they could play a national turf or not and then and then for them to play on the astroturf field in canada was the whole thing I know this isn't a factor in the decision-making process, but isn't it kind of funny that this is World Cup qualifying for Qatar, which is going to be in the desert? <laughs> and they're playing in the tundra? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. Anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a whole lot of ridiculousness uh, across all this, but we love it. That's why we're here. Hashtag U.S. soccer, baby. Yeah. Hey, that I blame the Canadians for that one. Um but yeah, uh, one more game to go, and like I said, if they if they drop that one, uh, a third one, that's it's real pucker time. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Burhalter's Ber- not going anywhere. And I mean, to be honest, when it comes back to it, I actually thought he was uh, he he'd earned uh, some kudos for me, Burhalter, in the last couple months when I'd been pretty skeptical. But I think that 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 what the changes he's made have kind of faded, or just I mean, to be fair, it's kind of ragtag with like people being sick, people being injured, who can travel where. I mean, it's not an ideal situation, but he's never in his resume, he's never been any more than slightly above average as far as I can tell. Yeah, I if we don't qualify, knock on wood, uh, you know, hoping we do, but if we don't, I wouldn't fire him just cuz the instability can oftentimes be worse than dragging out the wrong manager for maybe a little too long. Like don't get rid of him unless you know who the right guy is that you're going to bring in. Don't, don't make a change just to make a change. Cause we've done that and it didn't work twice. Had to undo it again. Like it's, <laughs> but to, to me, it look. seems like and it put us back three, four years. So I think Please no matter what happens, I think I think this cycle is his to finish for for better or for worse. It's it's his to to finish, you know, despite people's grievances. But I mean, even if it is successful at the World Cup, I still think it his time should probably close no matter what after the World Cup here. I don't think that he should necessarily maybe not too much further past this next World Cup. I think there should probably be someone in charge for the the, the twenty six cycle. Uh, you know, pretty shortly thereafter, the this upcoming World Cup. Because I mean, he's definitely cycle. fostered like some sort of a chemistry. Whether it's just because those guys are growing up together or part what he's done, there is a some sort of a, a chemistry going on there, and he has uncovered 
and some internationals and some some players he's kind of you know brought into the fold that I don't know necessarily were on the radar before, but <laughs> can, can 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 we you know you know add add the real juice to the team? I don't know with him. Only time will tell, I guess. Uh, you know, this this next game is going to tell us a lot of uh, what we need to know. <laughs> but bringing it home here, I think uh, <laughs> on that note, we'll, we'll hope and see for this third USA game. And uh, definitely back to Michigan Soccer Central. Uh, we are, I think, 60 episodes deep on this show. So uh, go through the Spotify queue for Michigan Soccer Central. Check out some of the previous episodes i've talked to professional players uh fans uh club presidents uh videographers photographers uh writers uh, trying to get as many perspectives as possible even other uh commentator teams i i even talked to other ones other than mitch other commentating teams i appreciate the invite rob it's always a pleasure to talk to you and you know anytime you need another voice, feel free to reach out. Well, this is the place for everyone, whether you're a coach, player, and or supporter, this is the place to connect to the entire Michigan soccer community. And I always forget to say this at the beginning and the end of the show, but micsoccercentral at gmail.com. Feel free to send any question or a contribution there micsoccercentral at gmail.com and micsoccercentral across all the socials uh, we've been blowing up. We're over 7,600 on Twitter and I know of equal numbers on Facebook and uh, Instagram alike. Um, I know I'm going to hit up my first uh, pickup soccer in since last summer this week, so I'm pretty excited about that. Found out about that on one of the groups I found on Michigan Soccer Central on Facebook. So very excited to, uh, to to get out there into the pickup scene. And that's one of my favorite things about soccer is playing pickup anyway. Just uh, the, the guys who can make it out there occasionally get to kick around and have some fun. Make sure you stretch beforehand. And uh, thank you, Mitch, for coming on. Thank you to the guests and the guests previous. Thank you to the Michigan Soccer Central core team for uh, – uh, allowing me to be the mouthpiece for this uh, this this project. So thank you, Jenny, as well. This is going to be a fun episode for her to edit this week. So thanks to her and uh, thanks to Dan Catranza for making the music so long ago. So until next week, everybody, there's so much of it. So enjoy your soccer.